a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get on to my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. Well, I've got a doozy of a show for you today. On my program, I've got Grant Gershon, the artistic director of the Los Angeles Master Chorale and the resident conductor at the Los Angeles Opera. He's basically got downtown L.A. wrapped up. Well, he's got a lot of places wrapped up because he conducts uh, all over the world. He's still singing occasionally. He's still a terrific master pianist and uh, a very nice guy, great colleague, great guy to work with, um, and frankly, a musical genius. I'm always impressed by, by Grant, and I had a great conversation with him. He's also forthcoming and uh, very frank and open, and that makes for a terrific chat. So I hope you enjoy it, and I want to thank you all very much for listening. All right, good. Well, thanks for being on my show, Grant. Hey, Omar. Absolutely. It's really nice, nice to, to be here. It's really nice to see you. You know, oh, are this, we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh this is gosh. how we do it. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm going to watch myself. Don't watch yourself okay. because we can always okay. edit. We can cut. <laughs> I mean, we can curse. We can lambast people. Not that I would do that, but you know, if you if you do and you lose your temper, we, we can, we can name names. Out. Yeah, exactly. And you'll yeah. <laughs> and you'll definitely cut that out. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so I wanted to add, you know, I I was thinking about our interview on the way over here and I've known you professionally for I think 11 years now, and so there. I, but I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you about about how you work and what you do, and um, I just realized I don't know that much about you personally. Um, I know that you're a great boss, and I know that uh, you're great, a great colleague, and great to work with. Um, but for instance, how did you? How did you? F- let's go back to the beginning. How did okay. you first get into music? What do you, do you come from a musical family? Do you, your, yeah, your folks? yeah, I do. I do actually. Do. My mom was a piano teacher, and um, okay. and I have an older brother and an older sister. And so when I was growing up, um, they were both taking piano lessons, and, uh-huh. and my sister uh, also played guitar and was was a folk singer and songwriter and like that. Is so, she older or younger? Than uh, you she's older. She's older. She's eight years older. I see. So yeah. she she kind of set the tone for something that you could do something successfully in that field yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I see. that's right and so it was basically sibling rivalry uh-huh. so when I was five and I'm watching my sister and my brother um, at the piano and I thought well you know I, I want to do it it's my turn now yeah um, and so uh, and so I started taking piano lessons yeah. not, not with my mom she was very wise about that now that I have we've got kids. lots of friends that that say the same thing, and I and I'm thinking about teaching my own son piano, but I more power to it's you. It's not I, a good idea, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, all I can say is, I mean, I I think with my own kids, it never would have would have worked. In what um, way? Because of well, the, to I try th- to prove stuff to you, or I, you know, I just think it's you know, parenting is complicated enough. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Am I right? Yes. And then and <laughs> that's then a constant. At theme least on for my show. me, if you if you <laughs> add it on to that. You know the the, the difficulty you know, and discipline of yeah, like a, playing the piano. Yeah. yeah, and of course for me personally, I mean, I'm not. You know, I've never had any experience teaching, teaching. piano. Um, so anyway, so my mom, um, we all three of us took lessons with with her teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I, as, as I say, started taking lessons when I was five. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, 
I was in PE class mm-hmm. in November of my freshman year, uh-huh. and uh, we had just—I think we had just finished like track and field, and we were going into, gym, <laughs> to into gymnastics. Unit. Yeah, right. You know, oh into my the god. next thing. Oh god. And so, first day in gymnastics, <laughs> and uh, part of the the circuit was uh, was to get up on the high bar uh-huh. and you know like do a pull up or something. Sure. And uh, and I was r- really small for my mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. and uh, and grade, so I couldn't make it up to the high bar w- even with a standing on a stool. And so oh, I, just to get your hands on it, just to get my I hands see. on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so and so I lunged for that <laughs> thing, and and I you know I started to wrap my fingers around it, and but not really. Oh, it slipped off and fell backwards. And, and everybody's watching, like the whole class is well, there. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was it was PE class. major entertainment. Oh my god! But, so I fell backwards um, and onto the stool that I had been. Oh. So anyway, so long and the short of it, I broke my arm spectacularly, <gasps> and uh, and couldn't play for maybe about nine months or so because I wow. cut a couple of nerves going to my fingers and I was in traction. So oh my um, God. so the long and the short of it was at the time I was in our freshman choir uh-huh. in, and I was, I was the, the accompanist for it. And uh, so suddenly I couldn't play the piano. So that meant I had to sing in the tenor section. Uh, and that was a complete revelation because I had sung a little bit, but it really wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun. And it was and and singing in a group and making music with a bunch of friends. Yeah, um, was so unlike what it is to you know play it's the, the piano. It's really the other side of the coin, isn't it? Yeah, where yeah. studying the piano is, you're so isolated and you have so much alone time just practicing the instrument. Yeah, but the op- being a singer is the exact opposite. Being with other people oftentimes helps you with your instrument and with musicianship. Yeah, yeah, and it was, and it was camaraderie. Great. So, yeah. so that summer, um, my parents shipped me off to music camp up in Idlewild because uh-huh. I grew up here in, in LA area uh-huh. and um, and so I did a two week choir camp up there and and uh, we spent the two weeks uh, rehearsing the Mozart Requiem oh my you know, God. leading up to this big performance at the end with like 200 kids yeah and and that was the, that was the the like you know road to Damascus <laughs> moment for me it was just incredible and you know it was it was just this amazing heady combination of first off the music itself of course, you know like yeah. interfacing with this what amazing, a great way to start right uh, and then you know also to be like in this massive choir and to be something part of something that so much bigger than yourself mm-hmm. um, and there were girls mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the choir yeah well we've right? got a mutual friend that said the and same thing about why he got into choir I, yeah. exactly <laughs> so yeah so there was I mean there was a lot going yeah, on yeah yeah so that that was it for me I mean basically I didn't know what it was going to be but I knew it was going to be in music interesting Something. and, and it, this was your sophomore year between sophomore yeah, and, uh, between freshman and sophomore between freshman and sophomore I see so so yeah so then I went back to, to school and I was able to you know I got back into playing the piano but yeah. I stayed singing in the choir so you did both as well um, and then when I started college I was a a voice and piano major, double major for like my first semester, and then, and then I realized that singing is actually really hard, <laughs> and so I stuck with the piano. Well, well, stuck yeah, with what I know. It's funny, we're opposite that way. And, uh, I, yeah, um, but I but I kept singing in choir, so I I went to Chapman College. Um, for your built, freshman year, like yeah. Your first, uh-huh. So, so for my first three years. I was and where there. did you? Where, where were you? Grow, where did you grow up? Uh, Alhambra. Oh, in Alhambra. Okay. Yeah. So going to Chapman wasn't. I mean, you had to move, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived on campus. Which I was, see. Which was. How was that? That was. It was great. I mean, it was amazing. I was. Um, uh, I was 
young I had skipped a grade. Yeah. Um, and and also a November baby. So I yeah, me too. Started. I'm December, and I also skipped a grade. Yeah. That's so yeah. the same. Yeah. So so you were 17 when you went. Yeah. So yeah. actually 16 when I started college. 16. Wow. Um, and this was you know this was like 1977. Yeah. Um, and so like you could get into like a lot of trouble. Sure. At that time of your life and in that particular era. So you'd say you were a social uh, person? I was a social person. I see. That's, that's, a, good. that's a very polite <laughs> way to put it. But it was great. I had a really good time and had, had great, great friends. And you were um, with Bill Hall, you said? With Bill Hall, yeah. yeah. How was yeah, that? Yeah. Did uh, that shape the way that you thought of uh, what you thought a choir should be? Or? Yeah, it did. It I did. Mean, it was I a mean, big it was figure. A, it was a huge choral program mm-hmm. at um, at. Chapman and uh, and it was a great choir and you know I'm still l- really close to a lot of the people mm-hmm. that were uh, that were in that group then mm-hmm. um, and then I transferred up to USC mm-hmm. um, uh, because I didn't get into Juilliard mm-hmm. um, and uh, and. Uh, and in SC as well, I was still a piano major, but I sang in the chamber singers for three years. I see. And that was like where I met all my friends. Was that what and Bill, was Bill Denning? Uh, that there? was uh, before Bill Denning. Before it Bill was Denning. Uh, Rod Eichenberger. I see. Uh huh. So anyway, so so long and the short of it was, I was just a complete and hopeless choral geek, you know, all through school. Yeah. Even though you know technically I was uh, I was focused on piano. Yeah. So you had like dropped my you had, you had dropped that major by that time. But, yeah. So you were fact, just piano. I was, yeah. I was a vocal major for about half a semester. I see. Okay. Yeah. But th- but you kept singing anyway. Yeah. Kept yeah kept singing and took some lessons. Still, I see. But it was yeah. And how about your brothers and uh, you have one brother and one yeah, sister. Yeah, one brother and one sister. Are they still in music? Uh, not really. My brother, um, he kept on. He also got into singing as uh-huh. well, and and um, sang in college, and mm-hmm. then kind of dropped it. And mm-hmm. my sister, uh, who remained just like this amazing um, folk singer and mm-hmm. and songwriter and everything, mm-hmm. um, she sings a little bit still. Uh, wish she would huh. sing more. So you won yeah. the sibling rivalry, basically. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I held out. You know, I stuck it out. And, and then from there, from USC. Did you were you working professionally as well at the same time? Yeah, yeah, you know, like you do. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was I was kind of supporting myself um, uh, with like just every kind of odd job in music that that one does. Okay, right. The church so, job and right. So mm-hmm. church job um, mostly as a uh, player or a singer. About half and half. Oh, I see. Back then, uh-huh. um, so the church job was singing. And I was ringing, you know, ringer in lots of different groups. I was singing countertenor back then. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. You know. Why is that? Well, I think you know because my voice hadn't changed yet. No, come on. <laughs> well, that's I, crazy. Only kind of. I mean, it, because uh, mostly countertenors, I I think. Well, you know, I I interviewed John. John Holiday. Holiday. Yeah, right. And right. he he see. I mean, he convinced me that he sings in his legitimate voice all the way up. But I don't. I think I don't think that's common. I think they're mostly baritones, aren't they? Yeah. And you've got a high tenor voice. It seems like it seems like there's a lot of of variety. Actually, hmm. it it used to be that it, it seemed like it was mainly baritones. Yeah. Um, using their falsetto. Yeah. Um, but I've been struck that uh, that there are a fair amount of of you know uh, people who are you know tenors with their with kind of their for lack of a better word regular voice yeah. mm-hmm. um who either are able to just like make this seamless connection mm-hmm. into into head voice uh-huh. and and falsetto mm-hmm. um or simply you know just have this really well developed falsetto i mean it's a whole other that's yeah that's really you know it, it, how do you it, feel your voice works that way well now i mean now i'm baritone at best oh I mean, 
Come on. It's dropped so much. How about, um, how about at the time? Did you did you conceptualize the way that you were working your yeah, voice, I mean, or did it, it just time, happen for you? It kind of just happened. I, I always had this kind of this strong falsetto. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all, for me, it was always a very different, you know, it was clearly like falsetto and then this enormous break. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. And the rest of my voice. Yeah, right. Um, so I was doing that, and then, uh, and then I was playing, uh, I played Cocktail Lounge at... Uh, uh, L'Hermitage Hotel a couple nights a week sure. and I was playing at the Verdi restaurant uh-huh. um, uh, one or two nights a week and uh, and that's a whole other thing I mean if we can talk yeah, about the absolutely. Verdi restaurant let's do it from, I mean I really credit like the, if I have any ability at this point to kind of think on my feet mm-hmm. um, in real time when mm-hmm. I'm making music um, and to to kind of work fast yeah, and shift and gears quickly kind of, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's all due to the to that Verdi restaurant really? experience where you know you'd show up um you'd show up at seven uh the first show would be at like 7 45 yeah and uh and you might be you might be expecting to have uh three singers that have been pre-planned mm-hmm. and you were going to do maybe scenes from Traviata things you'd already agreed show. on yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and that was that was fine. Um, about half the time, at least one of those three singers uh, would call in sick, and so it'd be a last minute sub. Yeah. And so you'd just be like, "What do you know? What do you know? <laughs> do you guys know any duets? Yeah. You learn this trio quick. Yeah, yeah. Here's the harmony part for this, and you know, okay, we've got a show. Let's go out there. And you would, you know, barely even have rehearsed it, or maybe not rehearsed it at all. And so yeah. you're sight reading, and you're just like waiting for like whatever happens next. And are they going to sing the second verse? Oh no, no, we're just like we're skipping to the coda. Okay, <laughs> But it was great, and you do that, you know. I mean, I was there for two or three years. It's a huge skill like to have. It's it's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, frankly, all the singers who went through that experience, I mean, you know, you just, um, you, yeah, it's just, it's, it's great to have that in your arsenal. It's just that you can think quick on your feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Improvise and kind of get yourself out of really scary situations. I I mean, I, I remember there was a... Um, there was a tenor who was uh, I mean there were so many like Verdi sure. stories but one of my personal favorites was a tenor singing Something's Coming from West Side Story uh-huh. and uh, and of course again we hadn't rehearsed and, and I, who knows you know he might have sung it the last time maybe six months before maybe two years before right, right. I think it maybe two years <laughs> yeah. before because because he got into the middle of the song and, and uh, um, he, uh, he started singing uh, something's coming. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. <laughs> you know, and of course, all of us. You know, I'm at the piano, like weeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. audience is like, "Why? I thought there were more lyrics." That than is that. so funny. Uh, but it was, yeah. This is you like, know, like we discussed before we turn on the mics. I just did a show based on that restaurant, and I, I, I wanted to ask you about, like, what, what was the. What what was the deal like? Did did people just, was it like a prefix menu and people just came in to see the show or was it a, a was it like a legit place or yeah yeah it was totally legit of course the food was was fantastic wow. that was one of the biggest perks of working there okay was, like the meals so all the rumors you, are true yeah that you get at the end of the night yeah um yeah I mean it was I don't it was this crazy business model I have no idea of course how that part I guess of it lasted it worked, ten years yeah right. That's right. incredible. It is incredible, and the singers that went through there, as you know, I mean, it's a good, it's yeah, like yeah. Sandy uh, Radvanovsky was right, went through right. there. But Sandy Rod Gilfrey, yeah. Susanna Guzman, uh, Tom Randall, yeah, uh, Roy Villanueva. I mean, um, yeah, it's a big, yeah, cadre of, of good singers. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I don't think we've got a place like that 
now. I maybe it was just a sign of the times, you know. It doesn't seem to be that popular of a I guess there's Michelli's, but right, there there just right. aren't that many places that do that. Yeah, and the fact that this really was, you know, it was organized into sets and there was a stage. I think that's probably the biggest difference between yeah. this and most opera restaurants is that you would actually do, you a know, sh- staged yeah. scenes or semi-staged and um they had a couple of very creative resourceful um, directors okay. that would come in and, and kind of help out with the show or they'd be self-directed yeah. know, singers and, and uh, pianists would just kind of figure it out for themselves. That's amazing. Yeah. And then so from from those types of gigs what was your first like break professional professional break that you got? Well I think it I think it kind of developed because I I started to get a reputation for being the guy you call to work with singers mm-hmm. and um, and also to play um to play competitions mm-hmm. and to play auditions. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think the Merrilla program called me, um, I think maybe when I was still at USC and asked me to play there, you know, a couple of days of auditions mm-hmm. they would do in LA. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, eventually I started playing the Met auditions. Um, and so I started learning, you know, just vast amounts of repertoire, sure. of arias sure. primarily. Sure. Um, and then, so I guess that then the big break was uh, was when LA Opera opened. So LA Opera first season was uh, was 1986, mm-hmm. right? And um, and in the third season, um, the it was in the summer of '88, uh, going into the third season. I got this call, mm-hmm. um, kind of out of the blue, that they um, that they wanted to hire me as a pianist. And um, so I started with LA Opera wow. in the fall of '90 of '88. Uh huh. And uh, there was basically, at that point, there was a music staff of three. Um, there was Randy Bear, okay. um, who was the resident conductor and chorus master and um, kind of did, like, everything under the sun. Wow. It was um, really kind of a bootstrap operation when it started. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah. I mean, compared to how I see it now, it sounds like a different company entirely. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's unrecognizable. Wow. And I mean, it was crazy back then, but it was great because, so I came on and there was another pianist whose name I no longer can recall, but he was based in London, mm-hmm. um, an older gentleman, and he would, they would fly him out um, to be like the principal pianist. On, a repetiteur. Um, yeah, uh-huh. repetiteur. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they had hired me on basically as the second, mm-hmm. um, but then this guy quit. After the, he's, he just didn't like coming out to you know L.A. Yeah, or whatever. Podunk, uh, town. Um, yeah. So for the rest of that season, I was the only pianist on staff, um, and so the season wow. opened with with Cosi Fantute, with um, uh, Carol Van Ness and Maria Ewing and Sesto Bruscantini and all this, this wow. incredible cast. Yeah. Um, and of course, since I was the only pianist, that meant I was also the harpsichord chordist. So um, uh, so I played the you know continuo was an uncut. Cozy is a Peter oh Hall my God. production. Yeah. So that was the first. The second yeah, was... Trial by Fire. Yeah, the second was Wozzeck with Simon Rattle conducting <laughs> the L.A. Phil. Wow. And uh, and that one, I wasn't scheduled to, to be involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be the other guy. Mm-hmm. And so when the other guy quit, that was like three weeks before... Re- no, no, it was 15 days before rehearsals were beginning for Wozzeck. Vocal rehearsals. Vocal rehearsals. Oh, my God. Um, and so Wozzeck is in three acts and each act has five scenes so i thought okay so if i learn one scene a day for 15 days 
I got this thing. I did that in college with my juries every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a time honor. Wow. <laughs> so, but, but, um, but that was a. I mean, what can I say? I mean, you know, working with with Simon. Yeah. Um, who was? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just like one of my true idols. Yeah. Um, and on that, you know, on that piece again, it was a great cast. It was uh, David Alden, crazy production. Yeah. So anyway, so that first season at LA Opera was just a total life changer, and it yeah. also started to make me realize that I was on this um, trajectory where, you know, traditionally you can start to make this transition from mm-hmm. pianist to conductor, um, because conducting was never anything. It wasn't even like a gleam in my eye. No? I, I had no aspirations or intentions or it just it just never seemed like anything. That, it was just never on my radar. I see. At all when I was growing up. In fact, I had, you know, from the from the 70s, I had a very healthy skepticism of authority uh, yeah. and of, of anybody who would want to be a conductor. Sure. It's like, oh, p- oh please. <laughs> yeah, he's really living out yeah. some kind of problem that he had as a child. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so that's me now. <laughs> I am that guy. Um, but so so there was, you know, um, I was at uh, I was at LA Opera from 88 mm-hmm. till 94. Okay. Um, and the other, like, big game-changing thing that happened, um, I think in my third season, was that Nixon in China mm-hmm. came to LA Opera. Um, so that was uh, my first time uh, working with Peter Sellers and first time working with John Adams. And those are two people that just became a huge part of my life and of my kind of lift in, in you know, my what was possible. Well, was it, me I mean, was it was it really was it that you all just got along so well? Was it that their artistry was revelatory to you? Was it both? Uh, yeah, it was both. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the real the real close relationship um, initially was with Peter, mm-hmm. um, because of course he was there in the room all the time, and Peter is such a hands on mm-hmm. director um, mm-hmm. that that uh, you know, as Nixon and China went to the different cities, mm-hmm. uh, he was involved. You know, from the very first rehearsal and I was the the pianist in the room for all of it and um, yeah and we just we we hit it off really well and I was I just found it absolutely revelatory um, and I do to this day I mean every time that I'm in rehearsal yeah. with Peter I feel like my my brain expands it's really something special that, isn't it yeah yeah it's, and know, unique the, the the wealth of it's just like everything that he brings yeah to the process um, uh, the the associations, the conceptual can, elements, yeah, yeah, that he can make from just every culture, yes, and uh, you know through from, gesture and yeah, direction, yeah, and, every yeah. tradition on the planet, yeah. Um, it's just it's mind-boggling. That's how I felt about uh, Oedipus Rex when we yeah, did it. Yeah, exactly. I, I just I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. so thrilled. And he's got a mind like a steel trap too. I because if you introduce yourself to him, I I I, mm-hmm. I remember when mm-hmm. I was when I was like in my twenties. I went, I was dating a girl who was at UCLA, who was an artist at UCLA, not a mu- musician, but she went to see this, this, um, I don't know, like a presentation that he gave on art, mm-hmm. art and artistry. And I went with her and afterwards I introduced myself to him and I noticed him really take stock. Mm-hmm. And then about five years later, I was at the cow's end down on Venice, down at Venice, that coffee shop down by the beach. And he was standing right behind me. And I turned around and I said, Mr. Sellers, I, I, and he said, Omar? And I, I just about fell, I just about fell yeah. over. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. So, yeah, he's, he's, really, he's really something special. How about John Adams? What is he, what's he like? 
Uh, John's great, you know, and, and John and Peter are so different yeah. in so many ways. It's I think it's fascinating that they've had this, this such long a close career. relationship yeah. and mm-hmm. such a trusting mm-hmm. relationship. Um, Is he just non-demonstrative and very steady, or what? what well, you what, know, what's he, he like? He he is he is he's very, John's a very warm person, mm-hmm. um, uh, particularly once you get to know him uh-huh. a uh-huh. bit, um, and. Uh, uh, but you know, but of course nobody is like Peter. I mean, no. Yeah, you know, I know that's the, true. The, he is know, an outlier. Yeah, you know, sixty second hugs. And, you're right. And the, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're right. But John is, you know, he's he's very articulate. He's a very deep thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he's very. I think he's very aware of the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have as artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, both Peter and John. I think that's one of the things that really binds them. Mm-hmm together yeah you know I, I have this discussion a lot about what <clears throat> what an artist's responsibility is and my my family tends to think that it it somehow should be more politicized than a lot of my friends think mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like uh, my my mom's husband is Venezuelan mm-hmm. and he's constantly <laughs> irritated at Gustavo for not standing up and saying something, and then yeah, I was talking yeah. to our friend Eric Whitaker about it, and he his his position is that the that art, that's not an artist's obligation to do that, and I'm kind of in the middle. I'm wondering, do you have any ideas about that? Do yeah, you? I think I'm I think I'm more in the middle and more leaning towards the towards the art letting and the social art, change, letting the art speak for. Yeah, but also being aware you. that of again of this responsibility that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to you know, to practice what we believe in, uh-huh. and to uh-huh. to um, to create art that um, that that has real meaning mm-hmm. to people that mm-hmm. that exists beyond just like the beautiful sounds mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're making. I mean, it's interesting, you know, Gustavo's situation. I think is is unusual in that. I mean, my take on it, for mm-hmm. what it's worth, is that um, El Sistema is is um, is such a foundational aspect of his life, mm-hmm. and it's something that that um, uh, that uh, means so m- it, that's so important to him and um, and to Venezuela mm-hmm. that I think he's he is very aware of the danger, the risk of the risk of to, just burning it down. Yeah, yeah, just and it's of, and yeah. it's something that Abreu has been you know always managed to um, to walk that line where yeah, you're depending rope, on yeah. who is mm-hmm. in power mm-hmm. that uh, that El Sistema is still supported mm-hmm. and um, and I can't even imagine that's all how down the drain now tricky that is yeah I yeah. don't think it's working now yeah well I, I mean, mean it's it's, a, it's it's on the verge of total collapse right it's unbelievable right. yeah I mean the whole the whole country is is yeah. yeah just on the brink well i mean when you when a bus driver runs the show it's you're gonna have a problem <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> frankly yeah um uh so uh, so i wanted to ask um how did you get wh- so you were already at la opera and yeah w- how did you make your transition like you were about to talk about into conducting what was the what was there a pivotal moment that yeah that occurred? So, so in the summer of 1992 I uh, spent the summer in in Salzburg mm-hmm. um, at the festival, and this was again through Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, P- 
Peter was directing a new production of Messiaen's only opera, Saint Francois d'Assis, mm. Saint Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. This I don't massive, know it. it's it's like a four and a half hour huge extravaganza. It was produced um, at the Paris Opera, I, I think in the late 80s, and then like nobody, it was like this giant behemoth that nobody knew what to do with. Was it unpopular um, or was it too expensive to produce? I think it was what just was so the... unwieldy. I see. Um, hugely expensive to produce. Because I mean, of the, the music? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the difficulty of the music, mm-hmm. an enormous orchestra, mm-hmm. it takes an enormous uh, uh, choir, mm-hmm. um, uh, the solo parts are are extremely hard challenging. Hard to cast, yeah. Hard to cast, and then just hard to program and hard to sell. So, anyways, so uh, so the Salzburg Festival decided to mount it and mm-hmm. and have Peter direct it. And this was the year that Esapeka was about to become music director of the LA Phil. I see. Um, and so, who they, was he replacing? Was he replacing? He was replacing Mata? Previn. Oh, Previn. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. and there had been nobody for a couple of years <clears throat> I see. in that transitional period. Mm-hmm. So, so they so they asked Esapeka to come and conduct it, and to and for the LA Phil to be the the orchestra for. It. And since the LA Phil was involved, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ernest Fleischman and Peter Sellers asked me to come along from LA. And to be the the principal pianist for the rehearsals. Wow. Okay. Uh, which was amazing. Yeah. Wow. I, wh- wh- I mean, why would they do that instead of well, having a, f- a Parisian pianist take the helm? That's a good question. Uh, I think it was partly because Peter and I at that point had had developed this relationship, and I had gotten on the Nixon and China bandwagon after L.A. and had gone to Frankfurt. I see. With it, um, and so Peter liked my playing. Yeah. and he thought thought I could handle it. Knew that you traveled well. <laughs> traveled well. <laughs> okay. Right, All know, right. <laughs> lightly. Okay. Um, so they brought me to Salzburg, and that was my first um, opportunity working with Esapeka. Uh huh. Um, and uh, and so and it was like a ten week rehearsal process, like they do in in Europe. And of course, it being such a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so Esapeka and I got to be friends that summer as well. And it was so it was at the cast party after the opening night mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. and we're all having beers and yeah, grappas yeah, yeah. and you know, it was great and that, you know, amazing heady. Yeah. We made it through the thing. Yeah. And so Esapeka took me aside at one point in the evening and then later on Ernest Fleischman took me aside. Um, they'd obviously been having this conversation with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they both basically said you know, we've had our eye on you. We think that you should be conducting, um, and uh, and if you if you just in the, are, in a general sense, like yeah. they would just facilitate your conducting. Yeah, yeah. In a, so they said if, if that's wow. something that you're interested in, um, let us know, and and we'll figure out like you know how to create some opportunities and 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 help you wow. kind of. I mean, you they know, really championing. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, it was incredible. I had been, you know, I had been keeping a journal. Um, at that point for a while and I remember like writing in the journal that summer that like what the fuck am I doing yeah 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 I was really yeah like you were just in the deep water yeah and I was at this point where I just was I was frustrated um, uh, with with like just like where where my life was going. Yeah, let's talk about that for just a second. Were you married at this point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, oh, I Alyssa. got married in in eighty six. In eighty six. Oh, yeah, okay. So and, we've been married six years. And had, did you have kids at this point? No, no. Okay, but you still had the pressure of maintaining a yeah a, a, yeah a life here. Yeah, and you know, I was, was very. Was that part of it? Do you think? I think that was. I think it was part of it, and I think I think it was mainly just feeling like, um, you know, I love 
playing the piano, mm-hmm. and, and I still do. Right. Um, and I feel really comfortable at the piano. I was really proud of my playing. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, um, like, artistically, I was not being fulfilled anymore because I was, you know, basically a rehearsal pianist. Yeah, you weren't. Is it that you weren't interpreting things for yourself? Yeah. Is that yeah, part of I it? I think that was. I think that was part of it. Um, and also just not, you know, not being able to. Uh, I, I think you know, as I developed as a, as a musician, mm-hmm. I I, you know, just naturally started getting stronger and stronger opinions and feelings about music mm-hmm. and um, and you were always subjugated by yeah. whomever you were playing for yeah. you know Rob Thies and I had this conversation too hmm. and part of it for I mean he loves collaborating with with vocalists that's his, yeah. that's really his bag yeah. but um, was it for you um, anything to do with the difficulty in dealing with the perception that the public has of was it ego at all i mean was it hard to i think it was I, i'm sure it was ego you know and because I think the public that, kind of just doesn't even consider the piano yeah very, very often i mean what i what i loved then and and still love is playing recitals with singers and playing chamber music uh-huh. um, as a real collaborator yeah mm-hmm. um, I think what was really frustrating to me at that point was um, was spending so many years basically as a rehearsal pianist mm-hmm. um, and doing all this work behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, and taking I, I have to say I took so much pride in my playing of orchestra reductions I, I loved um, really f- trying to figure out how to translate the the energy of an mm-hmm. orchestra mm-hmm. and the colors of an orchestra mm-hmm. into the piano, right. um, and it was something. Again, I just I spent a lot of time and it took a lot of pride in it. But it, you know, after having done that for several years mm-hmm. at LA Opera, um, I just felt like I was stuck. So then this conversation yeah. happened with Esapeka and and Ernest, and you know, I left the party that night and walked like a mile back to my apartment in Salzburg, mm-hmm. and I never touched the ground. I was just I couldn't believe like a, this, this was happening this to me. This new idea and this new door was wide open yeah. that hadn't been, that had been obscured before. Yeah, I just you know making the transition into conducting is really challenging. Mm-hmm. It was then, it still is now. I no, think. you took conducting um, in school. I mean, you knew how actually, to con- I didn't I didn't really no? take con- I mean, I took the semester that you have sure, to take. Sure. Sure. Um, but I really didn't know how to conduct. Um, I mean, I had no I I felt like I had no natural physical aptitude towards conducting so what happened after this was um was uh that uh that Esapeka and Ernest um created um created the situation where I could get myself into the Aspen Festival the next summer into their seminar for conductors mm-hmm. um which was kind of amazing because normally you have to like submit a, a sure, video sure, sure. and and examples yeah. and I hadn't they I had just nothing, mainlined you right in yeah. yeah so I got in mm-hmm. um kind of at the you know entry level thing um and so I spent the summer you know um just in in classes and had a little bit of podium time and it was, that was my first time ever standing in front of an orchestra was that Aspen it was an Aspen wow totally freaking terrifying I mean unbelievable <laughs> you know just so um so then the next year um uh they uh, uh they offered me um a couple of christmas concerts mm-hmm. to uh, to do a baroque concert where i would conduct from the harpsichord um and that with, went that's natural with the, for you yeah I would with the with the phil and with the la phil and that was that felt fine yeah 
then in yeah, you your security blanket. Yeah. yeah. So then yeah. in February of that year, this is now two, uh, 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Esapek, wife Jane was pregnant with their uh, with their second daughter, mm-hmm. um, and she was like you know ten months. Yeah. D- yeah, yeah, like yeah. Any Set time. to pop. Yeah. And at that at that point in, in the LA Phil's history, they didn't have an assistant conductor. Uh, they hadn't had an assistant conductor since Esopeka came. Yeah, he had never had an assistant before. Wow. He didn't really like. He told me he didn't really see like what the, like the that purpose, uh-huh. what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hired me for a two week period until she gave birth to be on call. Um, so you had to, to study to, all the scores that he was yeah, working on. So I had to like crash learn all of these scores, and they were getting ready for a European tour. Um, and so they had had like four different programs in LA play. Phil. This is the LA Phil. That's unbelievable. So, so again, long and the short of it, what happened? I got almost the entire way through the two weeks, um, and then it was a Thursday night at like six in the evening, and the phone rings, <sighs> and there's Ernest Fleischman on the other end. Grand. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> are, you, are you ready? <laughs> And uh, of course, what are you going to say? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, yeah. Um, and I mean, truly, I have never been so petrified in my life. It was like, so the next, like, the next little while in our house in Monterey Park was yeah. like the, I think it was four weddings and a funeral where the first uh, five minutes of the movie is nothing but fuck. Yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah. Fuck, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> How much time did you have? I mean, were you up for a concert? Like, they were. Yeah, so this was a, this was the eight p.m. concert, and I got the call at like six fifteen. Are you, um, that day? That day. Oh my! Yeah, god. Yeah. So basically, it was like had you had any rehearsal the, time with the band at no, all? No, no podium time no, with them. No. Holy. So that shit. was so that was my first. That was like my debut with the orchestra. And where were they performing then? Uh, that was here at the at the Dorothy, Dorothy Chandler. Chandler. Yeah. Um, what was on the program? Uh, so it was it was Beethoven seventh. Uh, it was the Saint-Saëns um, violin concerto. It was uh, oh my um, god! So you had to work it was with this the piece soloist. by Stephen Stuckey. Um, it was a uh, like a transcription of Purcell's funeral music for Queen Anne or Princess Anne. Uh, and then the curtain raiser was a this really obscure Beethoven overture, the Namensfeier overture, which nope. like only Esapeka nope, never heard of did it. that. Wow. Piece. So, I mean, luckily I'd watched Esapeka rehearse the program. You'd never worked um, with a violinist? Not, nothing. No, no, nothing. Oh my no. God. So, so this was one of those situations where like the, the members of the orchestra have a choice. That's right. They can they either can, fuck you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or exactly. they're going to help you, or they can, you know, or, <laughs> or they, they can, can like, carry the whole thing. They can, they can fuck you, or they can ignore you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and luckily, they yeah. chose to ignore me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I mean, basically, like the concert came off fine. I mean, you know, I have no idea what I was doing. And this was before beta time. blockers or any. I mean, you were just like, yeah, it was just you. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Yeah. So that was so. After that, then they offered me the um, the the position of of conducting assistant for the following season. Yeah. Um, and that ended up being like a three year thing. Uh, eventually, they inverted that title for, to assistant conductor. Yeah. Um, and so basically, for three years, I just tailed Esapeka. Um, I was guys, at every rehearsal, every great. performance. I yeah. mean, is he still a friend of yours? Yeah, you keep yeah, in touch? Wow. yeah. And he was like, he became like my mentor. Wow. So you know, um, after rehearsals, I could just go and ask him questions about you know, 
you know, why why are you doing this? You mean what as far it? as gestures go? Yeah, it's wow. gestures or interpretation or wow. anything. And he watched me in rehearsal and... <laughs> <laughs> had some notes. <laughs> had, had a few notes, um, but I mean, it was as a fucking peck. I know, right? You know, so uh, so that was it. That was basically like my apprenticeship, those three years. And you know, I look back on it and I think it was just like like a Cinderella story. Did you ever think in those early moments that no, I'm going to go back to the piano? This is I can't. I, sh- I can't. Do yeah, this. you know, actually, a lot. There were. There were some real low points. You could ask Alyssa about wow. that. Um, yeah. yeah, there were there were some, and, and also actually after I left the orchestra because then we moved to New York and I was freelancing. Oh, I see. For a while, and there, you know, and you left were, that you left the LA Phil as the assistant conductor. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were there were several points when I really felt like yeah, this conducting thing is just not going to work. Did you ever have um, any performances that you just totally? Screwed. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean. Yeah. Um, like what? What? What, ha- what happens? What does a conductor? This is a rhetorical question in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will only speak hypothetically. Then. <laughs> what does a conductor have to do to really screw up a performance? Like, how did that go? It's what, actually what not happened? that hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, all you have to do is not know the music. Yeah. Like as well. Kind of as like a singer. I've done that. Music. Yeah. Sure. And um, you know, it's really it's actually not that hard to fake out. An orchestra, I mean, particularly if it's you know, I mean, it's one thing if it's Beethoven's Seventh Symphony yeah. and it's the LA Philharmonic. Yes, because they've played that tune a few That's times. That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, but if it's something you know less familiar or less well rehearsed, yeah, the conductor is actually necessary. And then what do you do? <laughs> do you make a choice to just barrel through it, or do you defer? And is there is there a, a language that happens on the spot between the players and the conductor when something bad happens? Oh sure. I mean, not just when something bad happens, but just all the time in real time. Yeah, I you're think always communicating. Yeah, there's always this this dance that's going on. Um, and is it primarily with the concertmaster, or is it with really everybody in every section? Yeah, you know, it's with the it's with the concertmaster for for the first violins, and to a certain extent for the strings. But it's with it's also with the every whole section. Orchestra. I mean, I have to say, it was so fascinating a few weeks ago to watch. Gustavo mm-hmm. work with the LA Opera Orchestra mm-hmm. for the first time, right? Oh, it's like a different orchestra. Yeah, but it, absolutely. And at the same time, you could feel that dance. Yes. Where he was taking in an enormous amount of information that they were giving him as he was transmitting information back yes. to them. You know, if it's just, you know, if it's just a one-way street where the conductor is simply dictating yes. and micromanaging. It's it's a tough night. Yeah, that's, that's a, a tough. That's a long work night. That, yeah. I absolutely. agree. I agree. And as a singer, I know I know when it's happening to me and I know when it's happening to other singers. I know who's who's in charge at every given moment. And it is that, yeah. that dance. Like, oh, that conductor just really let that singer do that thing even though maybe stylistically it's not what everybody wants but that just happened Mm -hmm. and then the conductor will take the reins again and it's a beautiful it's like they pass the baton back and forth yeah yeah Um, that's really hard to teach I'll just say I don't know if you can I don't know if you because that kind of is like a people person thing isn't it yeah and it just comes from for me it just comes from experience from having enough time on the podium that you get out of your head I bet you enough that you can like make music in real time I would venture to say that it has more to do with your personality 
than your experience because I've worked, we've all seen and worked with ex- very experienced conductors that just do not have that in their vernacular. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's true. And, and they've gotten to this certain level. Not that they're bad conductors. I don't mean to say that they're not good conductors, but it's a different style of conducting. And I don't know if that's a choice that they've made. I think maybe some people just aren't good with that. I th- you know, and I, I think that it's also, uh, it's somewhat generational. Ah. Uh, which is only to say that that um, that I think if you go back to you know um, to the to the early and and mid years of the of the twentieth century, mm-hmm. you know the the conductor as autocrat, yeah, the, and, sure. and the tyrant, yeah, and, yeah, you know, I mean that was that was the role, basically. Yeah, I and see. It maybe wasn't such a such a two way street that's as right. it has to be now. Is it because that singers, uh, in particular, were just are kind of looked down upon f- from a certain vantage point? I mean, is that? Well, w- I don't know if it. I don't know if this the singer training has been changed or if the expectations from singers have changed. But it seems like singers have a lot more input now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as to what happens on stage. Than yeah, they used to. I think it's. I think it's a combination. I think the training. Um, tends to tends to create more kind of uh, well-rounded and confidence, artists, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, and I think also it's it's it, I think the again the whole relationship between the podium and and musicians has shifted um, over time. In huh. to my mind, just a really in really the way you were speaking, way. yeah, before. yeah. So yeah. the same way that that it's more flexible. With the players in the orchestra, I think it's the same way with um, with soloists as well and with singers. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I see as far as style goes. Uh, I feel I feel like the st- like Muti's conducting style. I think he's kind of like the holdout of that yeah, generation. Yeah. So I, I see. I do see what you're saying. Yeah, you, Muti, Tilemann, yeah, probably another. You know, yeah. but but that's rarer and rarer. I mean, yeah. Gustavo. He's um, so Simon generous. Rattle, I, I think, was one of the first to really just, just be first and foremost a human being mm-hmm. on the podium. Mm-hmm. Um, and a collaborator. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the part that's missing, I think, in the old guard is the the feeling of collaboration. Yeah. Uh, where with yeah. Gustavo, I always feel, even as a even as a chorister, I feel like he's so generous. with. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't treat us like dummies. Yeah. Um, and that's really refreshing. And, and I get the same thing from you too i feel like whenever you're on the podium a we're going to be safe like i don't want to say the things that you do and and imply that other people don't do them but you know you know like we get downbeats and we get cues and and i feel like oh this is we're all on the same team here and i know it's a lot to to I, i can i can imagine i've always thought that conducting like the holy grail is orchestral conducting right and symphonic conducting mm-hmm. but then i also see as operatic conducting i i feel like that you have to be a symphonic conductor and a soloist conductor at the same time and juggle all of these things that seems to be the hardest job yeah oh absolutely i i think i mean that's what you know really that's where the rubber the, meets the road right <laughs> separates the girls yeah. from the women <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what i feel too yeah and yeah, you find there's so many more variables i mean there's so many more things that can go wrong and the fact that the you know the players can't hear the singers very well I yeah. mean, in a concert situation yeah. you know basically people can hear each other and so they can that you know, sense they of can, ensemble yeah, is they present. can use their ears and trust their ears to help make the music happen mm-hmm. in opera you don't necessarily you you really are translating for you know, especially if the winds are under the stage and they're accompanying the the mm-hmm. singers in a, a line with a lot of rubato, mm-hmm. 
I mean, you've got to be on that. Do you think that's more of a modern convention because orchestras are required to play so loudly and, uh, hmm. now that they can't hear the singers? Is that kind of, do you think, I can't imagine that in, in 18th and 19th century Europe that was a problem. Yeah. Where there must have been more of a sense of ensemble and houses that seat a thousand people. Yeah, I think I think it's, it has a lot to do with, with the size of the house, the layout of uh, And the expectation of the audience. Um, and also the, the 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 as you say simply the volume that orchestras play at mm-hmm. um, as the as the instruments have gotten more and more efficient mm-hmm. and um, and the technology has gotten better and better for woodwind instruments and mm-hmm. and you know going from gut strings to right. to steel strings for the um, for the strings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just a lot more sound mm-hmm. that's coming from the orchestra. What do you prefer to conduct the most? Do you, do you split them evenly in your mind as far as um, what is more artistically fulfilling for you? Or do you, I mean, do you really have a preference? I, don't, I mean, I love the fact that I can do both. Yeah. And and if I only was doing opera or only doing concert, I think I'd, I'd feel kind of cheated. You'd feel like you felt when you were a pianist. Be, because, and I, it has <laughs> to be said, I mean, op, you know, um, conducting concert generally is so much uh for the conductor it's so much simpler uh-huh um uh but you know but it's i mean it's fun to have the you know there's a let's just put it this way um when i'm conducting in the opera pit um i have to change shirts at, at each intermission that right um yeah it's just like you know the yeah, it's like blue color so, blue color work yeah, yeah yeah it's hands-on yeah you know and it's and it's um and it's working without a net yeah, you know. right. Well, uh, so many things can go wrong. Like you said, there's so many variables. I mean, I've been in a production where a candelabra fell over and lit stuff on fire. You know, I mean, yeah. shit like that yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. And you have to de- and deal with And mainly the show goes on. Yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. I mean, we had a soprano faint on stage once. And what? yeah, wow. and, the, you know, the lady walked out with her headset and said, is there a doctor in the house? And John Demain's baton is up the whole time <laughs> you know, waiting for her to stand wow. up. You know, yeah. So it's, I can imagine that that... Uh, Shit happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what is the? What's your least favorite part of your job or jobs? Like, for instance, um, I know that February and March are tense. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say. I, I think. How do you deal with that? I think the the hardest thing is certain aspects of casting yeah. and auditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I mean, it, it conversely, it, it. I mean, there's parts of it that are the most um, rewarding mm-hmm. and um, and inspiring because you get to hear the Im- incredible talent mm-hmm. um, that's uh, that's here in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, how do you make those decisions? Like the I, because you're so magnanimous and you're so friendly. I would imagine that you, I, I you're go home s- and kick the dogs. Yeah, right. I mean, like you have to say yes and no to people that you really love. And how do you, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like, I, I would have trouble. I mean, I know that we're all professionals, and nobody's going to put poop in your mailbox or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you'd be uh, surprised. <laughs> but is it is that a difficult thing for yeah, you every it's, year? It's hard. Um, uh, you know, it's it's hard having those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it is you know it's it's uh, you know it's simply an important part of building and maintaining an ensemble it's, and yeah. I don't you know I don't prepa- pretend to be perfect mm-hmm. um, and it is practical I mean it's just a practical professional thing that has to happen yeah yeah um, and I you know my hope is that 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 I establish you know over the over the years uh, enough 
trust mm-hmm. and uh, consistency you know, and yeah. consistency mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that people at least understand that um, that that right or wrong, I'm coming at these decisions from the from the art and from the health of the of the organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, I remember. I mean, you know, my first. Uh, when I first started with the Master Chorale and had the first round of auditions mm-hmm. going into my opening season, it was my first time being a music director. Uh-huh. So it was my first time, you know, being in that situation mm-hmm. where you really do have to make these difficult decisions and deliver difficult news mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, and help to, as they say in HR, to out-counsel mm-hmm. people. Um, and uh, but you know I really I do feel like it's it's um, over the years I mean it's always been clear to me that that it's simply a part a, a part of the part job, of the job. Mm-hmm. it's a it's a responsibility um, that I have to your to, post yeah yeah mm-hmm. to the post to the to the audience to mm-hmm. to our board members mm-hmm. um, you know to the people who um, who look to the ensembles mm-hmm. uh, to to set. A standard, mm-hmm. and again, you know, right or wrong, I don't pretend to be perfect, but you know, I take the, you know, I just take it as, again, as a responsibility. Well, as an employee here, I can absolutely vouch for the fact that I've, I've always felt like you have an open door policy. The two or three times that I've wanted to talk to you, you're always open to talking about it, or even like, how did I sing, or what, what should I fix? And you've always been very upfront about that and very transparent, and and I, I think it's. I don't know. I think it's rare in business generally, and especially in the arts, where there's yeah. so much feeling and so much ego and so much um, neuroses just everywhere. Well, it, I have to say, it's like I said early on when I decided to um, to stick to piano and uh-huh. not be a voice major. Singing is hard. Yeah. Um, and and you know and in so many different aspects of it. I mean, maintaining your instrument and and. Um, and you know, keeping it, uh, you know, keeping up with with your metabolic and mm-hmm. biological changes mm-hmm. over time is is challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that singers, I mean, you have to open yourself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to make yourself really vulnerable mm-hmm. um, when you're performing, um, and to, you know, you're you're reaching you know these really deep and intimate emotions mm-hmm. um, and making yourself very vulnerable. Did you you never got yet, there as a pianist? Did you ever feel that way as a pianist when you were performing as a soloist? Yeah, I do, but I think it's, it's I different. think it's different as a singer because the um, instrument is who I think is, it's yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it seems to me it's partly that it's, you know, th- your instrument is you. Right. Um physically also I mean you're facing your, yeah. your, <laughs> as a pianist. Your whatever you're like it is. Off into the, you're you're staring off blissfully you're, into the wind. You're facing your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, and I suppose it's it's similar to being an actor. Uh-huh. Um, you know, where again, you're just you're you're very much, you know, opening, you know, opening your 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 own personality and yeah. your own emotions for people to crap all over. <laughs> but do you miss that? I mean, do you miss singing sometimes? Is it something um, that you? Do? I know that you do occasionally. Uh, yeah, I but guess. But when I you mean, get back to it, when you get back to it, is it nerve wracking for you? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's why I sing so much in rehearsal because it's like I can get yeah. it out and, yeah. you know, nobody can say anything. That's right. It's like whatever. It's just the conductor. <laughs> so in the, in a, that's yeah, fine. Back room. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the few times uh, over the last few years, like singing um, uh, Little Match Girl Passion, mm-hmm. that I've done a few times and a couple of other things. 
Yeah, it's it's a good. I think it's actually for me a really healthy reminder of the fact that it is hard, and that uh, that you know when there's there's so many um, things you know from the from the weather, the humidity, yeah, you know, your schedule, like, mm-hmm. yeah, allergies, you know, mm-hmm. did, did your kid bring home a you know like mm-hmm. some sort of like crud? And mm-hmm. Now you've you know. Like there's all these things you have no control over, right? Um, where again, like you can wait, you can you know you could be sick as a dog and wave your arms around, you know, yeah, yeah. Sit in a chair if you have to, sure, or whatever, sure. Um, but but yeah. Do you have a sense of uh, you know you you were talking about that ennui that you felt as a pianist before you got into conducting? Do yeah. you have that sense anymore, or are you are you God, pretty fulfilled never. with what you've what you've got going? Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I really am, and and you know, I just I feel really fortunate lucky blessed whatever that that right now in los angeles um that that all of the the major arts organizations are operating at such a high level Mm -hmm. um i mean you know i i just came from the chorus america conference which was in cincinnati this Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. um and you know everybody looks to la these days um with with a mixture of jealousy and <laughs> admiration and you know because i mean you know having gustavo at the philharmonic having the philharmonic in such great shape yeah um having the opera in such great shape yeah, with placido um, the, and master with you and the master is corral is really leading the way in the choral field Absolutely. these days mm-hmm. um it's a you know it's a great place to be and and the fact that i'm i'm right there kind of in the middle of it and and helping um, to steer it yeah yeah it's it's great and the talent pool here is phenomenal um yep so yeah it's good it's good i you know i mean i just you know knock on wood and i'm hitting my head right now um <laughs> because yeah you know you just uh I, I think it's just important when things are going well to just acknowledge it yeah and yeah, yeah, and yeah. savor it uh, you know, I felt like I feel like this is kind of the the end of our chat, but I don't want it to be because I I've one thing I wanted to ask you about and maybe we can come back to a pleasant nice wrap up ending like we yeah, just did, yeah, but okay. I'm going to totally bust that up. Okay. Um what is it like being married to a singer that also performs on such a high level? Yeah. Do you uh, I always feel like if I were in your position I would almost shy away from hiring her out of like some to avoid the appearance of nepotism in some way but she truly is like the best candidate for a lot of repertoire that you conduct how do you how do you guys deal with that like as a husband and wife how do you deal with it and how do you deal with it professionally yeah yeah that's man what a great question yeah i mean the truth of it is um i would hire her more if we weren't married um that we're we're both very concerned uh, Alyssa actually particularly is concerned about appearances. Um, I mean, it 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 disturbs her to her core because she's a she's a person with like a lot of integrity. Yeah. Um, that people would ever think that she's getting a gig because she's married or, to yeah. me. Okay. Um, so so what I always find like the most satisfying thing is when I hear from other conductors that have worked with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, and uh, and they get in touch and and uh, she sang with John Alexander uh, a couple times over the last couple of years and the first time was I think doing the Poulenc 
Gloria uh-huh. a couple of years ago. Um, and he called me the next day and uh, said you know, he had been in tears as he came off the stage and given her a huge hug, which confirmed kind of my third-hand sources as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's, that's great. Also, you know, when, when uh, Alyssa gets a, you know, a, a rave review, um, it just, it's, it's great because it, it, it feels like it validates yeah. the fact that, okay, then, you know, it's, then, you know, I can, um, I can engage her for this concert next year and everybody knows that she's awesome. That is legit. And, yeah. But, we're, uh, but we're both really, I think, sensitive, maybe even oversensitive to that. Yeah. That's really interesting. So I, I would imagine out of between the two of you, she's the one that turns down your offers more than the offers that yeah, you think you should yeah, make. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. interesting. And well, especially if it, you know, if it feels like it's not like a good fit or or, you know, yeah. it's yeah, if it's just not not the right repertoire. Although actually, now that I say that that I I think I'm usually pretty like savvy. I I haven't had her I haven't, you know, had her sing Brynhilde. Yeah, yeah, yet. yeah. Yeah. And what's what's next for you? Is this I mean, I I know you've got contracts signed for years ahead. Is this is this really your where you want to be? just from now on basically just at home do you feel like this is where your home is and yeah it is i mean um i'm i mean uh, i don't mean to like tell you i'm not going to send it over to the board and say hey he said he's going to be here for 50 more years yeah. i don't mean well, that well no you know i i love being in la for you know all the reasons that we've we've talked about mm-hmm. um and the fact that it's my home that mm-hmm. that uh, that i grew up here um you know, it, so at least for the foreseeable future, I mean, I'm I'm with the Master Chorale through the, you know, the 2020 mm-hmm. season, and um, uh, and I anticipate staying with the opera as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's What's nice is that I do have, even within the craziness, I have some flexibility in the summer times, mm-hmm. um, and even during the year as well. Um, to you know, if something really interesting comes along, that you can work uh, it out. That I can work it out. And, and who so that's great. who takes over now at the Master Chorale when that happens? Well, so that's I mean that's that's how this all works for me. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, I've had an amazing assistant at the Master Chorale and at the Opera. Mm-hmm. So so Leslie Layton has been at the Chorale now for uh, seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jenny Wong mm-hmm. is coming in this fall, mm-hmm. uh, who's also a fantastic musician. There'll be a real great partner mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jeremy. So, so you have her support. Yeah. yeah. So so we can make it. We can make it work. Oh man, you, I'm telling you, you live in the dream. I know. That's right? really amazing, right? Grant. I want to thank you for being on my show. You, you're one of my favorite people. I'm glad hey, that I well, got to really. I'm really glad that I got to know you a little bit. M- better today and and you were great thank you thanks see you around and there you have it folks maestro grant gershon i want to thank him for taking the time out of his day to uh, get with me and have a nice chat it's greatly appreciated and i also want to thank gregory geiger at laclassical.com for my amazing theme song i still love it buddy Thanks a lot. And I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great day. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get on to my show.